All right, we ready? Wait, hold on. I think I messed up my microphone settings. I'm going to change it. You tell me. Uh... I can't hear anything. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. No? That sounds way uh, worse. Come on. <laughs> come on. Carly, I would appreciate it. They're going to make fun of me a lot on the podcast. <laughs> uh, if you just don't laugh at their jokes, it would be good. Okay, um, <laughs> I'll try. I think it was better when it was off. Maybe keep it there. <laughs> Carly, you're already failing. So today on the show, we have setter Carly Lloyd. Carly helped lead the team to a bronze medal in the 2016 Rio Olympics. Carly, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So the topic for today, which you suggested, is controllables versus uncontrollables. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about a little town called Fallbrook. I know you're from there. I'm wondering, are you the best player to ever come out of Fallbrook? Or, or can you even think of any other good players that have grown up there? Um, yeah, I mean, we've had some players that have um, gone, done well in college. Um, no other players have gone on to be at the level that I'm at indoor. But, um, yeah, I, I think that I've probably gone the farthest good in answer. this sport. <laughs> Good She's absolutely smart. right. So I, I asked because our two hosts here are also from Fallbrook. Uh, what? Yeah. Oh yeah. Can you believe that? Okay, absolutely. I didn't know that. <laughs> Fallbrook High graduation. You guys didn't know that Fallbrook's a total volleyball hotbed. Apparently, apparently Carly didn't know either. Heather Hughes. <laughs> if you guys would have done a little more, maybe she would have. I said yeah. indoor. Heather went onto the beach. That's true. So yeah. Heather, I, Heather is a good player. I just can't think of anyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah you know. Apparently, there's two more here that can introduce themselves because I don't know. Hey, Carly. I'm yeah. Billy. That's Nils. I'm Nils. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 We, our our parents used to play with. Uh, I believe it was your uncle, right? Is uh, Galen. Yes. The turbo, yeah, our parents used to play some volleyball together at the local boys and girls club down there in Fallbrook. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. How much oh, older yeah. than me are you guys? Oh, they're really old. <laughs> they're really old. <laughs> I, please don't make me tell you when we graduated. <laughs> but they were pretty good back in the day. Okay, cool. Well, I'm happy to meet you guys virtually. <laughs> don't worry. Your answer was still correct. Nobody has yeah, gone as far as you are. You are correct. <laughs> Especially because I said indoor and you guys play beach, right? Uh, Nils, I was, I was an indoor guy. Yeah, I played. I played on the national team for a short stint. Uh, never went to the Olympics or anything like that. But I was. I trained with those guys for a while. Cool. Okay. I guess we'll get into our topic here. Um, what are some common things that players focus on that are out of their control? Oh, um, refs is a big one. Um, gym circumstance, like lights and um, responses from teammates, bad. Um, I guess you can say like attitudes, um, which can can spark some inner turmoil with people if they're not happy with how teammates have responded to um, to something you've said or done on the court. Um, coaches, decisions that are made, rosters. There's a a whole lot of them. What, are there any in particular that you you've struggled with and have kind of limited your growth? So. This topic for me is actually a really um, sensitive one, in in the especially in the past few years because I I grew up in a family of athletes and like I, I had dreams when I was really young and I you know I I worked really hard with my uncle he was like he was the first coach I had and he was a great mentor for me and he was like right there with me all the time and I feel like he did a really good job of instilling um, 
some great um uh, like values in me for like working hard and and doing everything that you can and um i i think i started in a good place but as i got older and um like went to college and then started with the national team i i would struggle a lot with like am i with not some not just with other people's opinions of me but like um am i doing enough am i am I good enough to be here? Should I even be here? And a lot of like self doubt. And then I would go into, uh, like with the national team rosters, making, making the roster on the national team. So you get into the gym and the, uh, the national team and there's a, a list of 30 girls that are all incredible volleyball players. And it's kind of, I mean, some of them are your friends and they're in the same position that you're in. And when it comes down to a roster being made, the the coach is the one making that decision um and that's something that's completely out of your control but for a long time I took it so personally and it like would destroy me so my first few years in the national team were really really um hard in that and it's taken me quite a few years to learn what is actually in my control and what isn't and it's been um a hard process, but it's helped a lot to get clear on what, what my desire is and why I'm in the gym and what I actually have control over. So I've, I still am learning and I'm still getting better at, um, at what I'm capable, like what I can do in certain situations, but it's been, uh, a really, it's actually been a really exciting process in the moments of difficulty. It's a struggle. And like you, I, I find I've found myself in like really low moments, but then uh, just shortly after those moments, I get super excited about the growth that I've just experienced. So Carly, I'm wondering as, as you're kind of describing that little bit of a journey that you have, is, is that something that is facilitated by the, the culture in the gym at the national team? Um, and, like, what does that look like? Because it sounds like maybe you guys talk about it or, or engage in exactly the type of growth you're talking about more so than just you having this own individual experience. Yeah. So, um, always when you're in that, when you get in the national team gym, it kind of starts as a tryout for a lot of girls. And, um, we have so many great volleyball players in the States that a lot of girls come through the gym every summer and it, to get to the the ultimate goal, which for any national team member, it's usually the Olympics. It's, it's a four-year process. So every year you're kind of going through this tryout phase the first summer. The next summer you come back in, you're kind of starting over and you're trying out again and you're trying to make these rosters. And um, when you when you get there, you're you're competing against for as from a setter. So there could be there's usually around four or five setters every every summer. And and then it's the the decisions are made and rosters are decided and there's cuts and that ends up being usually two on a roster. So, um, we, we have talked about it a lot because it's, it's a really challenging environment to be in when you're, you have 30 girls and then you have 25 girls and you have 20 girls and these are your friends and they're girls you've played with in college or against, and you're living with them in apartments and your roommates. And, but at the end of the day, there's these decisions being made that are not in any of our control, but it can create some tension, um, but then at the end of the day, all of our goals are actually the same because we all want to be representing our country and hopefully, you know, meddling or just having the most success that we possibly can as a team. So it's really hard because as humans, we compare and we 
uh, we have, you know, our, our self-talk that we have to, we're all going through all these individual things, but it's a team sport. So we're all, we should be selfless in that, you know, whatever's best for the team should, the de- decisions made, but it, it can get hard when you've put in so many hours and so much time and only 12 girls get to go at the end of the day. So I don't know if I answered your question completely, but it's kind of the process that we, yeah, we, we have, we've talked about it and it's, yeah. It's not no, easy. I, I mean, it, it sounds, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a brutal process for sure. Right. Um, and it, it definitely seems like, you know, making sure you stay focused on the things that you can control <laughs> is, is very helpful. So I'm kind of right. curious too, maybe off the top of your head, could you go through maybe a list of things that you think are within a player's control? Yeah. Um, I think, well, I know, um, your, actions and the effort you put into things um your what you are saying and showing um so things that are that I mean that I I I believe I see in others and I know that a lot of um players we we actually talked we talked about this a lot the last quad I want to mention with Mike Gervais he was our um, high performance coach we we talked a lot about things that are in our control and what we can do to maximize um, the moments in the gym and with training and stuff. And a lot of that had to do with what we're saying, what we're doing and, you know, like the the way we're doing it. So, yeah. And why is it important Mm -hmm. to know what those controllables are? Well, I think we find like in our, some of our meetings, when we talk about this, some girls, even me coming to the gym, like, maybe I thought that I had to do everything. Like I had to be perfect in everything. So you're not really clear on like what exactly your role is and what you're actually supposed to be doing. And um, once we have those conversations and we can break it down on like, this is really all you can do. You can come in the gym and the, the effort you put into this very next play is that's all you can do. You can't, you can't control the outcome of it. You can't control whether you win the point or the match or you know, if you're even on the court or not. So it's, it's really important for us to have those conversations and to, to clarify, um, to break it down, I guess, coming, like coming from college, we never really had those conversations, um, at school. Like we, we didn't talk about controllables versus uncontrollables as much as we have in the national team gym. And I think a large part of that is also with how much we're traveling and how many different countries and, uh, circumstances we're facing all the time. So it can get really easy to get outside of yourself and focus on all these external things that you have no control over. And then you're kind of wasting energy and you're not able to put it into what you're actually in control of. So uh, kind of going off of that, I, I, I we recently read an article that, that discussed one of the, um, your injuries. You had some some issues with your shins and the bones mm-hmm. in your shin. I wasn't totally specific. You could maybe go into more detail about what that was if you want. But mm-hmm. what I want to know about that experience was it sounds like to me that was something that was completely outside of your control. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that experience, having something so big that was outside of your control have such an impact on on your goals and what you were trying to accomplish? (laughs) That's actually an awesome question. And that act, that actual event is what kind of threw me into like my passion for going inside and kind of 
figuring out what I, what I am, what I can actually do, what I'm capable of doing and what my controllables are. So that injury was like, it started as shin splints in 2012 and developed into stress fractures over like an eight month period. Um, where during that period I was playing overseas and I was being told that like, I just had shin splints and that it, once I took two weeks off of playing, I would be completely healed and I'd be able to play without pain. And I was just kept playing and kept listening to the doctors and like, okay, I can do this. Like pain's just, it's nothing. It's my bones aren't like, I'm not bleeding. I'm, you know, I can do it. And over that time, I was just in so much pain that I was like, well, there's something wrong. And, you know, the doctors were telling me you're kind, you're making it up. Like this was my Italian, my Italian doctors telling me this at the time. Um, you, you're, you're imagining this pain because we've done exams and there's no problems with your bones. Hmm. So when I came back here and I got a actual MRI with a, a doctor here in, in San Diego, um, I actually did a bone, a bone scan and he told me that both of my shins were fractured and that I had to stop immediately or I, I was risking my career. And that, that was the first time in my career that I, um, had to sit out, uh, like, for more than a day. I mean, it was, uh, there's been like little things in, throughout my career, but never anything that made me sit out for longer than a day. And I was 22. So, and I started when I was 11. So I was immediately went into like freak out mode. I, um, I went into a deep depression. I had to see multiple psych psychologists, sports therapists, and, uh, Mike Gervais helped me a lot. And that, um, I guess what that taught me was that whatever situation you're in, you, you have things that you can control and things that you can't. And at that time I could not control that. I, I couldn't be on the court. Like I, no matter how badly I wanted to play and how used to my bot, my body was to pushing hard every day and training and just like working. I could not, I literally could only walk. I couldn't ride a bike. I couldn't lift a weight. I couldn't do anything. I was, like completely off my legs for a total of eight months. So it was, I got really clear about what I was in control of. And then I took that to like a whole level of, I, I, I just wanted to learn more about like where I was and why I was where I was emotionally. And like, um, and that took me into like a lot more with self-talk and how I'm way more in control of my emotions than I ever thought I was. I'm a really sensitive person. So like I'm passionate on the court and everything, but um, that episode just showed me that there's, you can find joy in any moment. It's just, it's a choice. And I truly, I truly believe, I, I believe that now. And I think that's something that's in my control. And I, uh, for a long time, I, I thought that external events were way, way more, um, I guess, impactful than, than what they were. I don't know. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, you know, when you are healthy and playing and um, if, if self-talk is one of the things you focus on a lot, and I guess I'm wondering what it, what it sounds like when you think it's really productive, like what sort of things you're, you're saying to yourself? Yeah, I'm, it's still a work in progress and I don't have a magical answer. I, <sighs> I find that when I, I think that it's more, I know what my negative talk sounds like and when I can identify that and just get that out of the way, it helps me. So I'm really, I mean, I'm hard on myself and I, I, I have a problem with, I want everything to be perfect. So 
if some a ball isn't perfect, but my attacker gets a kill, I'm like, damn it, Carly, you know, why didn't you, or something will, and I'll be like, hey, and I just have to, like, let myself um, be okay with not being perfect and kind of get my thoughts on what I can do, what I'm capable of doing. So if I stay in, like, um, like pros, like, I'm, I am... I don't even, that's a good question. I don't really know if I've like written out what I say, but it's kind of keeping my thoughts on like what I can control in the next moment. Like this is my plan and I am, um, I'm prepared. Like that's a good one actually saying that I'm prepared and I've prepared and I've done this a million times. So if there's a moment where I'm going negative, I can, that's like a, a something that I do say to myself often. So it sounds um, like a big, big part of it is recognizing when you go negative. Yes. And counteracting I, that. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, Carly, yeah. we're going to need a magical answer. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that was great. <laughs> that's that's really what we're looking for. The, yeah. the secret to all volleyball. Which yeah. Easy answers. I guess if you guys had those, you wouldn't be having this podcast. So. No, we know we know them all. We just. Oh, you do. You're yeah, just yeah. Testing yeah. you. Yeah. We'll we'll tell you we'll tell you at the end. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm 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 curious now as you kind of dig into some of the uh, the like the situations that are outside of your control or more pressure situations, uh, playing in the Olympics, uh, playing professionally on a, on a big stage. There, when you're in those situations, um, can you talk about maybe the the how if maybe it's more difficult or less difficult to focus on the things that you can control? Um. Well. I guess like the last quad, we we spent a lot of time with Mike, um, kind of repeating the same thing that, you know, every every match is a gold medal match, and we should approach them all the same. So, I think we did a really good job of talking about that, and I think we did a good job of that at the Olympics for the most part. Um, I can't say that I didn't have moments of self doubt and like negative self talk and stuff during the Olympics. It was. And it's not just because it was the Olympics. I, I still have those thoughts and those moments off, often, like in the even in the practice gym or at a smaller tournament. Um, I do think that it's it seems like it's a natural thing for that to happen in a bigger event because of the like how big it is to to the world. Like the Olympics is that's it, and so I think it's really normal and natural for that to happen. But I. I can't say that I felt like it, like it did, like it was like, oh, we're at the Olympics, so now everything's different. I didn't feel that, and I think it was because of the way we prepared for it. Um, but there were definitely moments, where, like I mean, walking into that gym and uh, hearing them announce us. I that moment, I've never experienced a moment like that before, that big of a moment. So there were things that happened at the Olympics that totally felt, oh my, so surreal to me, and like the full body experience that I experienced watching walking into that gym. And I had chills from like the top of my head to my toes and like back up like three times. And I've never felt that connected and like that much emotion. And I, so there, there were things like that that happened, but when we're on the court and we're playing and I don't think that I didn't really see it happening that people were worried and thinking more and performing less because it was the Olympics. I think that, the preparation we had to get there helped a lot with like us realizing that it's just us in a ball and a court. And it's, that's, it's, we do this every day. 
So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because it reminds me of the saying, the idea of uh, in, in pressure situations, you don't r- uh, rise to the occasion, but we fall to the level of our training. Um, and so I'm wondering maybe specifically a situation or a, 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 a time you were in training, did you ever have that same situation mirrored in a game, uh, maybe at the Olympics or on the big stage that you can remember? I don't know if I'm following the question super clearly. So was there, was there ever a situation like as a setter, maybe you like missed or uh, botched a location or, or made uh-huh. completely the wrong set and you went negative uh, and you'd been working on it. So you got yourself out of it in practice. But then that same exact almost same rotation, same set or something happened in the game and you were able to go back to that same practice time. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Oh, I see what you're saying. I think I see what you're saying. If I can, <laughs> this, if I do, this is a perfect example because I was in a tournament um, this summer and we were, uh, I was struggling with setting my middles. I just could not connect with them. And um, I, like, I couldn't, I, my, I was finishing low. I was getting small, things that I shouldn't be doing. I should be playing big, finishing high, holding my finish different things that I work on every day that I've been focusing on every day that are really clear in training that we do. I mean, literally like hundreds of balls a day. And in this match, I could not get it. I got subbed out. Um, I was on the bench and I was bummed and I was like, dang it. I, you know, I've been doing this all summer. I've been working on this set and I was talking to myself. I was like, what's going on? Why aren't you? And I like went through it and I, so I, I like process it to the point where I was like, okay, you know what? This happens. You, there are moments if you, if you were to be in again and, and the, what would you do? And I, I just told myself, I, I'd stay tall and I'd finish high. And then I let it go. And I was, at, um, I was back to watching the match and I was in the box and we're whatever match goes on. And, um, Karch put me in as a, a dub sub, uh, in this, the next set. And I went in the first ball. I said, I set the gap. I was like, I'm, stayed tall, finished high. And I was like, that's, and I, it was a moment for me, um, where the, I, I reminded myself that I've done it a million times. I knew what I needed to do. I saw myself doing it. I, I knew my keys stay tall, finish high. And when I went back in, I got over the fear of like, I can't do it. I, Cause I had tried a few times in the match and it wasn't working. So I went in and I did it and I felt it. And as soon as I felt it, my, I was, I felt like I was back and I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I'm going to, sh- I shared it anyway, because that moment for me in that match helped me for the rest of the summer and this summer with, um, being able to have a bad moment in a set and like, and even feel like I'm losing my, my confidence or, you know, I can't do this right now. And I've had thought and then being able to come out of it in the same match because I, or in the, yeah, in this, that same match, because I think a lot of times in my past and I've seen other players as well, we, we struggle with, if we start off a match bad, it's like, Oh, it's just a bad day. And like, you just accept that shit. I'm, I'm in a, sorry for my language. I'm in a bad moment and I like, I can't get out of it. And, and then you'll just kind of finish the way you started. I've done that before. And I think it's really, really important for athletes to know, like, you can have a bad moment and it can, it could be a bad day in general. It, it could just not feel right, but we have the capability to talk to our, like to talk to something and then feel what you're doing and just recognize like, what could you be doing a little bit differently with your body right then to just make it a little bit better. 
and to trust, like trust of what you, all the work you've done and like make positive changes within a match. I think that's huge. I think it's a, it's something that I've learned that it's possible. So it's, and I think it's hard to do sometimes, especially uh, for me at least. Um, yeah. Awesome. And we've talked. Yeah, what, I mean, whatever Nils's question was, that's you know, that's a really good answer. <laughs> so way, way, yeah, way to say it matter. Yeah, Carly, I told you not to laugh at their jokes when they make fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Just rescued Nils. <laughs> hey, we're with you over here. We're trying to figure it out. Oh. Uh, so, Car- Carly, we talked a little bit about um, kind of the culture in the USA gym, as far as the perspective on this topic of controllables. I guess just mm-hmm. to get specifically in Rio, kind of after you guys' semifinal. And, uh, you know, the mood after that and having to play again in the bronze medal match, um, either what was in your head, what was the team talking about, um, whether Mike Gervais was helping, like kind of what was the focus of the team or any lessons about what you guys can control about that at that point, uh, going into that bronze medal match? Um, that was a really hard moment for everyone, uh, from every player to the, the staff as well. I think that the moment um, Krista, our captain, she she had a moment where she would she told us that, you know, we're here. This has happened. Um, we're we're so much more than just this volleyball team. All the all the, the work we've put in and the relationships we've made and stuff. And um, let's kind of just make the most of this tomorrow. And we know what we're capable of. It was a it was a, important for us to see that like losses losses happen and we can play really good volleyball and you still don't get what you want. And we, we went into that tournament wanting gold and we, you know, we talked, we, that was our goal and we knew it wasn't going to happen the next day when we went into that match for, for bronze. And I think that we put a lot of our energy into just playing USA volleyball Um like USA good. We, we talk about that a lot. We use that phrase a lot. And it was our focus, I think was more on being in the moment and just like maximizing the, this, uh, this opportunity we have. And there was, there was no longer, I didn't feel like there was any pressure around the situation. Um, like it just, it was like a beautiful game to watch, honestly, that, that, that match. And I think it's really hard to come that turnaround so fast. And there were so many emotions after that, that loss. And, um, I just, I think I, I don't, I don't even, I just think about that moment. It was really rough. And what does a USA good look like? Um, that's a good question. USA good. It, it, Wow. No one's ever asked that. It's a term you guys throw around and use a lot. We use it a lot. It's, I don't, I guess we've never talked about really what it looks like. It's more of this mindset that we don't have to be great. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to do more. We just have to be USA good and USA good is enough. And it's usually, it just consists of everyone um, being good at their job and are good. It, it's, it's, yeah, we've always said our good is good enough. We don't have to be great or perfect or, um, like over, overdo anything. And I would say to answer your question on like what it looks like, I guess it, it, 
it, yeah, we, we talk, we work a lot on being fast and so it looks fast. <laughs> uh, our offense looks fast and it, our, I think there'd be like our platforms look calm and our angles are being held and our finishes like there's like technique, I guess that would go with it. Yeah. But, it probably looks a lot like it did in that bronze medal match. Um, yeah. That was part one with national team setter, Carly Lloyd. We will be back next week with part two where Carly talks more about controlling the controllables. Just wanted to say thanks for listening to our show and to everyone who has written a review on iTunes or shared our podcast with a friend or rival coach. Uh, we really appreciate your help getting the word out. If you want to connect with us with questions or critiques uh, or give us topic or guest ideas, we're on Twitter at Coach Your Brain and Facebook at facebook.com slash coach your brains out. All right, until next week. Hello, and welcome to part two of our conversation with national team setter Carly Lloyd on controlling the controllables. All right, we ready? Wait, hold on. I think I messed up my microphone settings. I'm going to change it. You tell me. Uh... I can't hear anything. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. No? That sounds way uh, worse. Come on. <laughs> Carly, I would appreciate it. They're going to make fun of me a lot on the podcast. <laughs> uh, if you just don't laugh at their jokes, it would be good. Okay, I'm... <laughs> I'll try. I think it was better when it was off, Nils. Maybe keep it there. <laughs> Carly, you're already failing. Going kind of to the opposite extreme, um, have you ever played for coaches or been on teams uh, where maybe the culture on their teams or the, the feedback you're getting from coaches has been more toward things that are outside of your control? And uh, how, how would you handle situations like that? Because playing on international teams, I know you're probably playing on a lot of different teams at different times. Yeah. Um, well, I think that I have played for coaches that um, that do show way too much energy and ex- like uh, and they put it into oh this I just had a really terrible experience with a coach actually but he, like into refs and into um, you need to like you need to stop this player like doing this specific thing and you you need to be blo- like just so. Um, just a lot of negativity and a lot of uh, non-useful verbiage. And (laughs) (laughs) um, what I've learned to do in those situations is to, I I usually, my breath helps me a lot because I can get um, really emotional and my face shows kind of how I'm feeling. So like if I take a deep breath and I get back to thinking about like, what does the team actually need right now? And trying to relay that in a way that like our coach, because it usually that kind of like, if you're asking about a coach um, overseas, I feel like girls don't speak up as much in, I've played a lot in Italy, the culture there's a little bit different. So you don't see a lot of like girls expressing their opinions and talking or just having like a conversation with the coach about things. It's really just, you listen and you do whatever he says. And so I found that it, it, what can help us and and the teams in that situation is just kind of, okay, that's, you know, that's him right now. We can't control him. He's going to do whatever he has to do. But what we need to do right now is, is like whatever the problem is at that moment, like let's, let's um, let's find a a solution to that right now. And just one thing at a time, you know, and get back to what we can take care of. Um, Cause yeah, you can't control your coach sometimes when, when emotions are running high, he, he, maybe he or she wants to be on the court and be doing it for you. And like, they think they can do it better. 
I'm speaking specifically about one man right now. And (laughs) it drove me, it drove us all. My team really struggled with him because that happened a lot. Um, It was hard to deal with. Yeah. And I guess going more into that and I guess playing in the moment, um, what are some things that you do that help you stay present on the court uh, when there's those outside distractions, whether it's the coach or the other team or the ref or that kind of stuff? Yeah, I talked about it a little bit shortly just now that my, my breath, I think that Mike uh, Gervais last, the last quad, we, he introduced that to me and um, I really do feel the difference when I, when I feel my breath and take a deep breath and like know that that's totally in my control. I get to breathe as like breathe in and exhale and like feel my, the relaxation of my body and um, kind of just standing and feeling my feet on the ground, like just grounding myself. That's something that can bring me to like to the moment and um I have been doing I just I'm a feeler I guess in a lot of ways like um I I enjoy feeling like energy around me and the energy of my team and where we are and stuff and um I get connected in the moment when I have like contact with my teammates and like I when we're all in the huddle and like you feel everyone's eyes connected and everyone's like there. I think that's just, it helps me be in the moment. And like, we're all, um, we all know what we're there to do together. And I, I feel that there's power in that. Um, when you have like there's specific teammates that I have that feel the same way. And when we can like connect and make eye contact and, uh, it just, it helps me be there in that moment. And there's like nothing else that, that matters. It's, it's just like how much how great can we be in this moment together? Those are some of the things that I like. And do you do things off the court, whether with teammates or or some sort of meditation to help with this? And and does it transfer doing meditation off the court to being more present on the court? Yeah, I I do so I um I like I've heard a lot of different ways to meditate. I've tried a bunch of different things. I'm still trying to figure out like what my favorite thing to do is. Um, I do do some form of like meditation every, every day. Uh, but it's my meditation. It's not, I don't, sometimes I'll listen to something guided. Sometimes I'll just lay in my bed and I'll breathe. Um, other times I will just try, not even try to quiet my thoughts, but just like witness my thoughts and, kind of just see where I am in the moment. And um, I definitely think that spending that time off of the court, just being helps me when I get on the court because it's, it's really easy for me sometimes to, to like in the past to get, um, get ahead of myself and want to do way too many things at one time. And so when I can recognize that and then kind of use the tools that I do off the court just by breathing or just, you know, like sometimes I'll stare at my feet on the ground and um, just like witness what I'm thinking in that moment and then get my thoughts on something that's productive. Um, So I I do things off of the court that I I love, like my essential oils. I I diffuse essential oils and just relax and like the things I do off the court are um, I obviously don't bring my essential oils on the court with me, but that's part of my, you know, my routine at home. And yeah. 
I'm I'm curious about your uh, the the meditation. Can you maybe go into more uh, specific? Like, is there a certain time of day that you try to do it at the same time? Uh, when you look for like a guided, when you want to do a guided meditation, where do you go for that? Yeah. Um, so if I do guided meditations, it's usually at night, and it's if like if I'm having trouble sleeping, um, I will listen to it's it recently in the last year it's been the same one. It's um, uh, she's a, her meditation is called Viva meditation. Her name's Emily Fletcher and she has a, an application. And I, I actually like followed a course of hers and learned some of her techniques and stuff. Cause I just really loved, I watched like a YouTube video on her and just loved her energy. And I was like, Oh, I got to learn from her. She's so passionate about what she does. And I love learning from people that are super passionate about what they do. So and I totally connected. I've never met her, but like, I feel like I know her cause she's just, she's awesome. So when I do guided meditations, it's usually at night and it's usually just to relax me before I go to bed. If I'm ha- if I had like a stressful day and my mind won't shut off, I literally listen to hers and I'll fall asleep before it's over. I like I, hers. I love. Um, and then the other form of my, my form of meditation or I mean my, my form of relaxation is more my like mindfulness maybe is, um, I shouldn't say mindfulness. My form of relaxation is in the morning and it's, I try to do it before I like eat or do anything else. Um, and it's not, I don't have a time. I don't like set a timer or, uh, yeah, I just, whatever I feel in the morning, whatever I feel I need, it, it changes daily, but it is in the morning. That, it's it's awesome. I could probably talk about that for longer than anybody wants to listen. So maybe follow <laughs> up later. Uh, but in in your article, in the article we read as well, you also mentioned uh, journaling, and, yes. and and that that played a part in kind of helping you process the thing. And I bring it up because one of the podcasts we did with Reed Pretty, he actually brought up his journaling practice and how much that helped him through his process of like self discovery and becoming like his best. Uh, cool. So I'm wondering if maybe like you could take us through a little bit of specifics on your journaling practices. Yeah. Um, I started journaling when I was really young, actually. I just journaling my thoughts and my whatever I was, I have journals from when I, as long as I could write, I guess I still have all of them. Um, but my journaling now with volleyball, it, it depends on where I am in the season and, and what I'm going through. But, um, I, I just find that I can, things that maybe I can't express to people if I'm going through something and I can't like find the words to tell someone, I feel safe to write them down. And I feel like it's good for me to get them out because I am a thinker and, um, I, I, I have a lot of emotions going through me. So I like to journal them out and then maybe read them or maybe I throw it away or depends on like what it is that I'm going through. But with, when it comes to volleyball, I found that like writing out kind of the goals that I have and what I'm looking for, like before the summer starts, like what I, how I want to be in the gym every day or, you know, what my three goals are, what my five or 10 or I don't know how many goals I have for the summer. Um, writing them out for me like I love writing and I love that the feeling that I have and that action of just me and a piece of paper and a pen so it's become again it's not like a ritual I don't I don't put pressure on myself like you have to do this every day it's more I try to connect with how I'm feeling I've been doing more and more of that because I if I get to thinking, I'll like convince myself and my thoughts, oh, you need to do this every day. And it, you're, you like, you have to do, 
so I just get, I sit, I feel, I'm like, okay, what, what do I feel like I need? And then my, I have a journal for like decompressing and just like letting anything out. I have a journal for gratitude and I, I do a lot of gratitude journaling. Um, and then like a volleyball, um, or dreams. I mean, right now my, my job is volleyball and I'm completely invested in being the best player that I can be. So, um, it can, yeah, I, 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 t- I just, I think that some, some people may, and maybe it's uh, when I have this conversation with some athletes and I recommend like, Hey, why don't you just try to journal it out? They're like, really? What's writing going to do? And I just feel like journaling is a way to, for you to see what's really going on inside of you. And there, there not to be any filter because it's just you and your paper. No one can judge what's coming out. So I've found a lot of um, comfort in it and I've learned a lot from myself in journaling. <laughs> Very cool. Good to yeah. hear. So we have um, a couple listener questions. Uh, yeah. Before that, just have one kind of random question while we have you here. Uh, I guess just advice. We have a lot of club coaches, high school coaches who listen. And if you have mm-hmm. advice for them and, and coaches who are working with setters, just kind of general things you would recommend. Okay. Um what's the age are you like saying let's say like high school or even college okay level um i think okay one thing that i've learned um in the past few years just being with the national team and actually working with tom black the last quad is what helped me a lot in training was having a like one focus at a time when it comes to setting because it's really easy to get like there's your feet and there's your hands and there's your finish and there's where you're taking the ball and who you're setting and there's so many things and there's so many things we want to accomplish all the time and I feel like whenever I broke it down and I had one focus for a specific amount of time and I could really dial into how I'm feeling with that it helped me a lot. It, I learned a lot from, from those moments. So, and it wasn't, it, it really, like I, I had to feel it. And Tom like would drill that in me in practice. Like, what did you feel? What did you, feel? and I'm like, Tom, I felt, you know, and he, okay. And then we would talk about it. And I got to the point where like feeling became such a huge part of my learning process. And I, I think we were athletes. So it's like, duh, you're, you're feeling it. You're like, but it's different when your attention's so focused on, like for me, it was, it just was a game changer. So I would say, and I don't, and I, I truly, like, I believe that we're not really capable of doing a million things at once. We aren't capable of doing a million things at once. So if you go into to setting practice and you have like, Oh, I have these, all these goals today. And it's going to be really hard to get better at all those goals in one training session. I think that it's really good to break it down. And that's even if in five minute increments, it's fine, but just having one thing that you're really trying to get better at, um, at a time. Uh, I, f- I found a lot, a lot of value in that in the last few years being on the national team. So if I could have implemented that earlier on and not been maybe like trying to, to do everything at once for so many, I think it just would have helped me, um, kind of just be okay with getting better at one thing at a time and, really getting better at that one thing and not getting sidetracked. So uh, one, one follow-up. Um, 
do you from coaches do you want to hear about like the result like oh you, you missed a little low you missed a little high or would you rather hear feedback that's more about that's more process oriented it's a good question i from a coach um i do i do want to hear that i if i if maybe if i'm setting back you know and i i can't see where the ball is a lot of times i can feel it and i kind of know what i've done wrong but i'm okay with hearing that kind of stuff it's more it's more like um how they're saying it it because there are some coaches that are just like like so degrading and they'll just like how you did it you know you're and that's different if it's like hey you're missing it low because you're doing that like i think that's important you missed it low what did you feel like let's uh let's fix it um it's different like from an attacker. I actually do like to hear from the attacker like, hey, it's wide, it's low, it's inside. It's Because I want to know what they felt and then I want them to know what I – so we can like find the solution together and um, instead of them just assuming they, that I know all the time and so maybe I don't because I can't see it or I'm, I'm trying to – I'm setting the ball. So like I'm setting and I can't turn around and, you know, do always see everything that's going on. So – from a coach, I do like to hear it, but I think it's it's more productive for us to have the conversation about the process of it and what I'm what I'm feeling. Great, and uh, Carly, we just have a few listener questions now, so okay. here, here they are. Uh, give me one second. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was supposed to work. Hi, my name is Michaela Ferris, and I'm lucky enough to be playing my fifth year under the amazing John Mayer. Just a couple questions for you, Carly. I know you have a lot of experience playing in high-pressure situations, and um, is there any advice that you would give on staying level-headed and present even when the, the pressure starts getting to you? Is there anything that you would say to help your passers if they were struggling to get you an in-system pass? Thanks for your questions, Michaela. I find that pressure... I mean, it can it can come from like it being on the the scoreboard and from your you feel the energy from your coach or your teammates and everyone's, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on around you. But pressure is going to come from like what you're actually saying to yourself. So like, how big is the moment in your head and what are you saying to yourself? And like, I got to be perfect and I, like, I need to dime this pass or I need to make sure this ball is perfect. That those kinds of things are where the pressure is actually coming from because that's where your body's going to start feeling. Um, like it has to, to perform like per- perfectly. And I think that what, what helps me in those situations is the normal routine that I go through kind of in, in other moments, just like taking a deep breath, getting back to the moment and kind of what I can control right then. What do I need to do right now? So um, I'll, I'll take a deep breath. I'll feel my feet on the ground and I'm, you know, I'm, this is my play. I'm, I'm going to, read really well and I'm going to set a hittable ball and that's all I can control. I'm going to cover my attacker. I'm going to, so if I get back to the process of what it's going to take in this moment, it makes all of that pressure go away because all you can actually control is what you're doing right then and being in that moment and like taking care of this next ball. And it's not this next rally. It's actually the next ball. It's the next touch you're time you're going to touch the ball it could be a set it could be a a cover it could be a random so many things can happen it's so unpredictable so um yeah that's that part uh i also just want to say that you're you're only capable of doing your best like you can you're 
everyone can have all these expectations and need all these things from you. But if you do your best in the moment, that's, that's all that you can do. So yeah. Um, when it comes to passers and if things aren't going well, one thing that I find myself doing is just going like into the next huddle and looking at them and saying, Hey, I'm ready to run. I'm ready to help you guys. And they're serving tough. So pass high and off. I'll get there. And then kind of looking at the other girls on the team and saying, Hey, let's be ready for tapes. Let's be ready for short balls. Let's help them. Let's just get one pass high and off the net and get a side out. So I just kind of make it like all of us. It's not just the three passers or the two passers that are passing that, you know, it's all of us can help in some way. So we're all going to be ready. We're, you know, I'm, I'm letting them know, like, I'm not expecting a perfect ball. I'm ready to run and help you. So um, I've found that that helps passers a lot. And they've given me feedback where, Hey, that helps. Like, it's, it's just good to know that you're not expecting the ball to be perfect. And um, having that dialogue is, it's good. It's been good. It's been effective for me. So um, I have done that a lot over the years. I, I wanted to follow up too on, on what you were saying, because I think it's really important. It's something I've tried to stress with uh, the players on the teams that I've coached where, what what you were doing to the passers there is you weren't helping them or coaching them or telling them what they needed to do. You were telling them what you were going to do for them. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that's, that's something that I think is, it sounds simple and it sounds straightforward, but it's lost in a lot of uh, coaching. Like how can we communicate better with one another? Well, if somebody's struggling, here's what I'm going to do for you. And then yeah. it also engages me into that process too. Well, now I have to follow through and actually do it, right? So if your hitter <laughs> yeah. is struggling, you can be like, hey, swing away. I'm going to cover you. And now all yeah. of a sudden you're actually doing that kind of stuff. Whereas, yeah. especially at the high school level, I think it starts to change as they get more mature. But at the high school level too, you get a lot of yelling and a lot of you know trying to hold other players accountable instead of exactly what you said. Here's right. what I'm going to do for you to help the process. And it's, I just wanted to highlight that because I think that's really important. Yeah, cool. I like that. All right. Our next question is from Sierra. Hey, Carly. This is Sierra Simpson. Um, I am one of John's players on the beach team here at LMU, and I am super excited to listen to this podcast when it's completely finished. Um, so my question for you, I know that the national team gym environment is ultra competitive and very cutthroat. We talk a lot in our beach practices about learning at all costs, but I know that it's also sometimes hard to maintain that focus on growth when it's time to compete, because obviously we all want to win. What kinds of things did you do to manage the stress and pressure of competing for a roster spot while trying to learn and grow as much as possible at the same time? Yeah, um, so I guess what... I've learned because I've been a part of the program for a couple of quads now is if I can get, I, I basically have told, like, I don't focus on roster spots or um, that part of it anymore. It's way more about the process. And if I can get engaged in every practice and the process of what I'm actually trying to get better at, I'm, I'm working to bring the best of myself out in those moments. So what that will hopefully do is put me in a position to help the team the best in, in a great way. And then that I will be chosen to be on a roster because putting the thought of, I got to make this roster. Like, this is my goal. My roster. I have to make, like, if you do that every day, you're creating so much pressure on something that's completely out of your control. You have, you have no choice unless you're the coach and trying to make the team at the same time. You, like that's just not in your control. So 
And it took me a few years to get that really clear in my head. Like it's still going to be devastating. And it's, if you're not, if you don't make it, it's going to be hard. And there's there, that's crappy, but you, that's not in your, that's not in my control. So I, I'm going to do what I can every day. And, and it also makes it so much more, uh, there's so much more joy in that, in, in just embracing all of the diversity and the obstacles that happen every day. And like you get, maybe one day you get a lot of playing time and practice the next day you don't, you're like, what the heck, why am I, you know, you start doing that, but then you're like, okay, I'm just going to, the next opportunity I have, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get better at this thing. And because we're all trying to be the best that we can be and that's all we can do. So, um, yeah, I literally just have to cut that part out. <laughs> like the, the pressure of the roster, that, that whole thing, it's, if you can separate that and just get back to what you're doing, it's going to be, you're just going to get way more out of it. Cool. And this last question is from Jess, who's a, who's actually a setter. Hi, my name is Jesse Pritchard. And my question is on game day, what do you physically and mentally do to prepare yourself for the game? And once you're in the game, how do you carry your preparation into the game? All right, Jesse. Um, I don't have like a, specific routine that I have to do every day and I think the reason why I've like I think I did in college a little bit more but because we're all over the place and we travel to so many different like we there's just so many things that could happen I I try not to get um, dependent on a like an exact thing that I need to do but I do on game days I I'd make sure that I'm getting the right amount of fuel because if I don't um, I know that I can cramp and um I don't want to experience that if we go five sets. So I'm fueling really well and I'm hydrating a lot. And I always try to have like a vitamin C packet or like some kind of extra electrolyte throughout the day before a match, because I, I want to have that extra fuel and those electrolytes to keep me, if I go five sets to keep me ready. Um, I do try to lay down and close my eyes. It's not necessarily a nap, but I try to close my eyes, do some breathing, um, I do my meditation and game days. If it's not in the morning, I'll do it in the afternoon before we head to the gym. Um, and I listen to music every, every game day. It usually it depends on the, actually the day. It's, sometimes it's really high intensity music and sometimes it's mellow. It just depends on where I'm at. I want to try to get to a balanced place and depends on like where my emotions are that day. So, um, that's kind of what I, I like to do. And um, I like to get to a place where I'm like, ex like I'm, I'm high energy and excited, but I'm kind of calm in my, in my head and feeling more than I'm thinking. Um, because I, I do like, I read my scouting report in the locker room and I talk to teammates about like what the game plan is and stuff. So when I get on the court, um, I do carry that with me. I, I communicate a lot of the preparation of like game plan stuff to my teammates, but kind of we're talking more about like what's actually happening, happening. So if there's um, hitters are making changes or, or whatnot, we're, we're having those conversations. Still, I do my deep, my deep breathing whenever things are, are going rough or um, I'm feeling a little bit too all over the place or nervous or anxious about something. I'll, I'll breathe. I'll, um, close my eyes sometimes, take a deep breath and, 
uh, I can't play my music in my on the court with my with my headphones. But um, oh, if if things are getting like we're not super hyped or something, I, there's a way that we'll figure out how to like get our energy up. Like, awesome. Yeah. So for for our last uh, final question here, it's from your former setting coach Tom Black. Oh. <laughs> He uh, he asks if you could go back and tell yourself something at the beginning of last quad, knowing all you went through and accomplished, what would it be? I would tell myself to embrace the hard stuff and learn from it, and trust in your ability, and enjoy the process. I like it. It's awesome. <laughs> I think Tom will like it too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was really fun. Thanks so much for sharing so much of your knowledge and um, gosh, so much good stuff in here. I'm, I'm definitely going to use it for my own playing and definitely in my coaching. So I really appreciate you spending the time with us. It was, it was fun. Yeah, learned, learned I, a lot. I'm really happy that I now I know about this because I don't know how I didn't know about your podcast before. And now that I know what it is, I will be listening and following and I'm super excited about meeting you guys. All right. I'm, I'm proud that two of you are from Fallbrook. I'm actually <laughs> from Bonzel. I'm from Bonzel, but I went close to Fallbrook enough. High. So yeah, it is close enough. It's basically the same. Um, so but yeah, I'm really avocados. grateful. Yeah. <laughs> um, grateful for you guys and what you're doing. This is really cool. So thank you for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for listening to Coach Your Brains Out. Please help us by subscribing to our show and writing us a review. You can follow us on Twitter at Coach Your Brain or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Coach Your Brains Out. See you next week.